Sergeant Coward. We had to say it. What? Fight in the shade. <laughs> kind of felt like that scene you know what I'm talking about you just feel like the arrows are kind of flying from everywhere you ever had like emotional arrows just kind of shot at you maybe you found out you've got cancer or somebody you care about or a spouse says you know I'm done I've had enough of this marriage you ever have arrows financially shot at you where you lose your job they say well we're we're doing away with your position or you're drowning in debt and you feel like the, you know, the bills just keep flying at you no matter what you do or things just keep breaking down or you ever had spiritual arrows shot at you and you, you feel discouraged, um, depressed, you feel like, you know, God, have you forgotten about me? If you've ever been there, raise your hand. Look around. We all have. And, and here's the problem. When we go through those times in our life, we feel like the arrows are flying at us. We tend to think and ask questions like, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, why are you allowing this to happen? And sometimes we'll even ask the question or we'll say to God, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And I want to suggest this morning that there's another possibility that we often forget about. And it's this, that the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you entered a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual warfare going on around us. And our enemy doesn't want us to think about that. And our enemy doesn't want us to recognize that. But many times the things that are going on in our life are called spiritual warfare. And when we accepted Christ, we joined the victorious winning team. Amen? But there's a lot of battles between here and that ultimate victory. And so today as we close out our study in the book of Ephesians, we've been going uh, chapter by chapter through this book our identity, we're learning about who we are in Christ. And today our identity is, I am victorious. Can we say that together? I am victorious. That we are victorious in Jesus Christ. But we've got these daily battles that we deal with in the spiritual warfare. And I want you to understand this truth. As believers in Jesus Christ, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. I've read the end of this book. We win. Amen? And so we just need to, how, to know how to be prepared for those daily battles and daily victories that God wants us to experience as we put on the whole armor of God. You thought you guys got up and were coming to church this morning. What you didn't realize is you were really coming to basic training today. You guys as troops have arrived to get your marching orders and to get prepared for these daily battles that we face in the spiritual warfare that happens all around us. And Paul, like a good commander-in-chief, is riding to troops on the ground. Those of us on the very front lines, and there's some things that we need to know about these spiritual battles. If we're going to be victorious, we need to know some things. So if you haven't already, take out your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 10 uh, today. I hope you'll take some notes. There on the back of your newsletter as we understand the things that we need to know about spiritual warfare. You guys ready? The first thing that we need to know to be victorious is you've got to know your enemy. 
If you're going to be fighting somebody, you've got to know who your enemy is. And Paul starts out Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and he says, Finally, my brethren. Now, we've been studying for about 12 weeks the book of Ephesians, and he says, Finally, here's the last thing I have to say. And we could say he saved the best or the most important or most practical for last. Because when we open our eyes to the spiritual warfare that we deal with all around us, this is something we need every day. We need to be prepared for these battles and these arrows every day. So Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in who? In the Lord and in the power of his might. This, this spiritual battle and warfare we're going to face, we cannot win on our own and in our own strength. We have to fight in the power of the Lord, in his might. It's a supernatural battle. And he says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. That word whole is important. Every piece of armor we're going to look at today is important. You can't just have half of them and not the other half. You need to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means schemes, trickery, his strategy and plans to defeat us and attack us. He says in verse 12, a very important verse, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against each other, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because this is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle, take up the whole armor of God. There it is again. That you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to what? Stand. Paul lets us know in verse 12 that people are not our real enemy. It's the evil forces. It's Satan and the demons. People are not our real enemy. Other Christians are not the, other, are not the enemy. Even non-Christians are not our enemy. It's the evil forces working behind them. Um, your spouse, believe it or not, is not your enemy. Your kids are not your enemy. Your parents are not your enemy. Now, this one's going to be hard for some of y'all to swallow, but your boss is not your enemy. He's not. The people in your neighborhood that drive you crazy, they're not the enemy. We're in a spiritual battle, and we need to know who our real enemy is. We have, need to open our eyes to this. You know, if you're going to fight somebody, you, you need to know who you're going to fight, right? Nothing worse than going up against somebody and you're not prepared for the fight. How many of you guys, be honest, you've ever been in a fight in your life? You ever been in a fight? Okay, I've been in a couple of fights. And one fight, I didn't sign up for. I didn't know I was going to get in this fight. But let me tell you what went down. And I was completely attacked and surprised by somebody that was my enemy that I didn't even realize I had. And uh, I was at, um, we'll call it an event. I was in an event and there was some dancing going on at this event. Is that a good way to put it? And uh, there was, and I, 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 back in the day, I kind of liked to dance a little bit, and I kind of had some moves, but we'll leave it at that. And uh, there was this girl, and she came up to me, and she said, hey, do you want to dance? And uh, she was pretty cute. And so I know some of you guys are going, okay, was her name Shelly? Um, it wasn't Shelly. This girl was not nearly as cute as Shelly. Got that one in there, okay. But she was cute. And so she came up to me and she said, hey, do you want to dance? I'm like, sure. And so, you know, we're dancing and stuff and having a good time. And then uh, me and my buddy, we, we went outside uh, of this, this place and we were, we were kind of standing around outside. And now my buddy was quite a bit bigger than me. I know that probably surprises you guys, but he was quite a bit bigger than me. And all of a sudden, I, I, my buddy's kind of behind me and I'm standing, I think I'm talking to somebody else. And, and I hear this smack. 
And I turn around and my buddy just falls onto the ground. And he's like, ah! And he's like yelling and crying like a baby. And there's this big dude that had just come up behind him and just whacked him. And then that guy comes over to me and he gets right in my face. Actually, wasn't in my face. I was like this, you know. Because he was like six foot something and I was not. And he's like, that girl you were dancing with was my girlfriend. And I'm like, uh-oh. I'm in big trouble. And he took, he'd already took out my bigger buddy. The guy was smart. He's like, I'm going to take that guy out. Then I'm going to get the you know, little guy. And so, but you know what was cool? And then he, boom, he, he, he hits me. Now, you think, well, that's really bad. But the cool thing was, when he hit my buddy, he fell on the ground and was crying. I didn't fall down. I was like, and then I ran. <laughs> but I was like, I had an enemy that I didn't even realize I had. And if you're going to get in a fight and you're going to get in a battle, you need to know who you're fighting and who your enemy is. And Paul's trying to wake us up here and say, listen, you are in a spiritual warfare and a battle and you have an enemy, whether you realize it or not, and his name is Satan. The Bible describes him as a tempter, a murderer, a liar. It uses words to describe Satan, our enemy, like a lion, a dragon, a serpent, the god of this world. He is not our friend. He is not our buddy. He wants to take you out. Jesus said in John 10.10 that Satan is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You do not want to hang out with him. You do not want to mess with him. He will trick you and deceive you into thinking that he is your buddy and he is your friend, but he wants to destroy you. But I want you to understand, Satan is a created being of God. He was first a created angel, the Bible tells us in Isaiah. His name was Lucifer, but then he decided to rebel against God and he was kicked out of heaven. We know him today as the devil or Satan. But he is a created being and he, he's not like, we give him too much credit sometimes, our enemy. You see, we know we have a God who is omniscient and omnipresent and, and uh, he, he, he can be um, everywhere at the same time. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. But Satan, is not, he does not have those attributes. He's one being that can be in one place at one time. And so sometimes we give credit to Satan when it's not Satan himself that is messing with us. I would say most of the time it's probably not. But he has a lot of helpers. He has a lot of buddies on his team. They're called demons. And you can check it out later, but in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, the Bible tells us that when Satan was kicked out of heaven, a third of the angels rebelled with him and they were kicked out of heaven. And those are our enemies today. And when we start talking about our enemies, start talking about spiritual warfare, we've got to be careful that we keep a biblical balance on this subject. Because there are some people who make too little of spiritual warfare and some people who make too much of spiritual warfare. Some people make too little and say, oh, you know, there's no such thing as a devil today and there's no such thing as demons today. You know, we have evolved beyond that. That's from a bygone era. That's primitive. And so they diminish it. Yet my Bible tells me that the devil is real and demons are real and one day Jesus is going to defeat an actual Satan. So he is real. So we can't diminish it. But then there's some people that they want to blame everything that happens in life on the devil, indeed, well, that devil made me do it, oh, that devil, oh, that serpent, when sometimes it's just our own stupidity. Can I just be honest? I've made some stupid decisions in my life that caused some problems that weren't anybody's fault but mine. And so we got to keep this in balance, but we do have an enemy named Satan and the demons, and, and Paul says in verse 12 that we wrestle with him. 
We, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood with people. We wrestle with these principalities and, and powers, these demons. He describes them here as principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And this word wrestle means hand-to-hand combat. I don't know, in high school, I was a wrestler. Anybody else wrestle in high school? Any wrestlers? Uh, I think they're having the state championships right now, actually, at the Pepsi Center. And uh, wrestling is one of the most exhausting sports that you can participate in. That's why they have three periods to wrestling, and they're only two minutes long. And when I was a wrestler in high school, I remember those two minutes felt like two hours. I mean, you couldn't believe how long two minutes felt. When you're hand-to-hand wrestling with somebody, it's very exhausting and tiring. It takes everything out of you. And that's the language that Paul is using here to describe the spiritual warfare that we deal with daily in our lives with with Satan and the demons, and, and that it's this daily exhausting wrestling match. And the Christian life can be like that. The Christian life on our way to victory can be very exhausting. So some of you, just getting up today and getting the kids ready to come to church was exhausting. Can I have an amen, parents? You know, it can be exhausting to say, we're going to be faithful, we're going to be in church every Sunday, and if that's what God wants, you know that's something Satan does not want. I remember when our family was young and our kids were little, our biggest battles were always Sunday morning getting ready for church. It can be exhausting going to church faithfully. It can be exhausting giving your tithes and offerings regularly as God asks you to do. It can be exhausting getting ready for small group after you've worked all day or to go to small group. It can be exhausting uh, being discipled, studying God's word, meeting with somebody, caring for somebody. It can be exhausting going on mission trips like we took nine people just last week to Mexico. You know, we didn't just sit around and kick back. I mean, we were working, and it can be exhausting. It can be exhausting, you know, pastoring a growing church. It's all part of the Christian life. And I would say this. If you say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't really feel that exhausted. I don't really feel that tired. Can I lovingly say maybe because you're not doing anything? Maybe because you're not in the battle. You haven't, you're not jo- you haven't joined, but you're hanging in the back of the ranks And letting everybody else be on the front lines. You get in the battle, it'll get exhausting. But here's the good news. When the victories come, you've been a part of that. You get to share in those victories. It's been cool watching the Olympics. We love the Olympics. And so, you know, we missed a lot of it because we were on the mission trip in Mexico. So now we've been watching every night to kind of catch up. And and, And every time they interview those Olympic athletes after they win any medal... They say, okay, all those exhausting years of coaching and and practices and getting up early and training, was it all worth it? And every time they say, absolutely, it was worth it. And every time at Orchard Church, when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when somebody gets baptized, like it's going to happen this afternoon after our third service, when somebody gets discipled, when lives are changed, and you've been on the front lines with us helping in that, you know, it's hard, it's difficult, it's exhausting, but it's victorious. It's victorious, and you share in those victories. So to be victorious, first, you need to know your enemy. And then second, to be victorious, you've got to know your equipment. And this is where Paul spends the bulk of his time in this passage. If you're going to go into battle, you've got to have some armor. i got my, my guy with, with a suit of armor over here. I, I like to call him the Tin Man because I like the Wizard of Oz. But uh, he's, uh, he's ready for battle. He's got all of his armor on. And there is some spiritual armor that Paul tells us that God has given to us when we accept Christ. There's no reason for us not to be ready for battle. 
But we need to know what this equipment is. We need to know what this armor is and have it on so we're ready to be victorious. So are you ready to hear what your armor is? Let me give you the equipment. First of all, you need to make sure you're wearing the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Verse 14, Paul says, Stand therefore, fight therefore, having girded your waist with truth. You know what the opposite of truth is? Help me, church. Lies. You know, that's how Satan operates. Jesus said in John 8, 44, that, that Satan is the father of lies. It is his nature. It is his character. You go to the very beginning of the Bible in the garden. You have Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. God gives them some instruction. God says, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat, you're going to what? You're going to die. Satan comes along. He says, you're not going to die. You'll be fine. Actually, God's holding out on you. What did he do? He lied to them. And they plunged the whole human race into sin. Satan is going to lie to you. He is going to lie to you. And lies are very powerful. You see, something doesn't have to be true for it to be powerful and affect your life negatively. Somebody just has to convince you that it's true. Perception is reality, right? You know, if I were to come to you and say, hey, uh, I know your doctor and you recently went in for some exams and your doctor told me that uh, you've got cancer and he wanted me to let you know. Now that may not be true, but if I can convince you that's true, that's going to change your life and how you live and your reaction. If I say, hey, I, I really hate to tell you this, but uh, your spouse has been cheating on you. It may completely be a lie and not be true, but if I can convince you that it's true, it's going to change how you live and your reaction. It's going to change how you respond to your spouse. You're going to want to kill them. And Satan lies to us, to mess with us, to affect us, to get us to live and react differently in our life. Satan will lie about God. He'll lie about you. He'll lie about other people. He'll lie about your church. He'll lie about leaders. And most of all, he wants to lie about this book because Jesus said, your word is truth. This is the belt of truth. And if he can get you to believe those lies, it will change you and it will trap you in your life. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you what, church? Free. It will set you free. But you've got to take on the belt of truth. One of the things I want you guys to bleed as a church is this question. You hear me ask this question all the time. You don't know, you don't know if you've got the belt of truth on, you'll ask this question in every situation, in every decision, in every thought, in every feeling... Feelings can deceive us, and it's this question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Not what does the world say, not what do others say, not do, what does my best friend say, not what do I feel, not what do I think, not what does my church say, not what does my pastor say. What does the Bible say? This is the belt of truth that will keep us from believing and falling prey to the lies of our enemy, Satan. I challenge you sometime to take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle of that paper and on one side write lies and on the other side write truth. And when you hear things that don't seem quite right and, and you want to make decisions and believe things and you're not quite right, then you just put those on the lie side and then you find out what the Word of God says and you put them on the truth side and then you make a decision every day, which side of the paper am I going to live on? The lie side or the truth side? And you do that long enough and you'll realize God's truth versus Satan's lies. You've got to have on the belt of truth. What's the next one? Verse 14, the second half of the verse. Having put on the breastplate of what? 
righteousness. Okay, that's a big Bible word. What does righteous, righteousness mean? A good way to remember the word righteous is the first part of that word. It means right with God. It means to be right with God. That's what righteousness means, to be made right with God. And Satan loves to make us feel like and think we're not right with God. And we can't ever be right with God. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys, since you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been tempted? Just raise your hand. Anybody? Oh, wow, look at that. Lots of hands. Here's how Satan works. Here's how he lies to us to make us think we're not right with God. Satan's lie is this. If you have been tempted, then you're already guilty, so you might as well just go ahead and sin. He he tries to trick us into believing that just because we've been tempted, we've already sinned. Is being tempted a sin? Hello? No. It's giving in to the temptation. Jesus himself was tempted three times, but he never gave in to the temptation. But Satan wants to make it trick us and make us feel like we're not right with God and we're not righteous just because we're tempted. We're going to be tempted. And Jesus wants you to know that you have been clothed in his righteousness when you accepted Christ. And you can live in that victorious life. It doesn't give us the right to do whatever we want to do, but it gives us the right to do what we ought to do to be right with God. And when we mess up and when we sin... Satan wants to defeat us and make us feel shameful and guilty. And God says, I just want to forgive you and you can be right with me. 1 John 1, 9 is still true. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all what, church? Unrighteousness. We can be made right with God. We can be made right with God and we can live in victory. Let's look at the next next piece of armor. Verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We'll call this the boots of the gospel. You gotta make sure you got the boots of the gospel of peace. Peace with God and peace with others. Satan wants us to be at war with everybody. God wants us to be at peace with everybody and at peace with himself. And and he says you gotta make sure your feet are ready for battle. Your feet are covered with the gospel of peace. I like to call this the boots of the gospel. Because when you're in the military, you wear boots. I mean, our guy here, he, he's got boots on. He's got metal boots on. I'm wearing boots this morning. You, 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 don't, you don't want to go into battle with flip-flops on. You know, it's just not real good. I mean, you know, if you're fighting another troop that has flip-flops, here comes the flip-flop brigade. Yeah, this will be over by noon. You know, this is going to be quick battle. You got to have some boots on. And here's what's important about boots when you're thinking about going into battle. How many of you guys, like myself, have served in the military at any time? Any military people? All right. Can we thank our military this morning? Let's just thank them. One of the things that they will teach you in the military is that when you are at war and when you're in a battle, they teach you to sleep with your boots on. You don't take your boots off. You know why? Because you've always got to be ready for the enemy's attack. And the enemy will usually attack when you're least expecting it. You know, it's not like the enemy works Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. You know, you can't be like, hey, it's 3 in the morning. You can't be shooting at us right now. It's 3 in the morning. We're a union army. (laughs) Just kidding. Some of y'all will get that. You got to be ready. At all times, with the boots of the gospel on your feet. It's the boots of the gospel of peace. It means you're ready to share the gospel at all times. 
Because you never know when the opportunities are going to come from day to day. You know, when we were in Mexico um, the last eight days, and we were serving over there, um, we were in a, a small town up in the mountains, in Orizaba, Mexico, about 4,000 feet, and it's, it's not a town that a lot of Americans uh, visit. Um, we, we stuck out like a sore thumb. You know, it was obvious that we were not from Orizaba, Mexico. And so people kept asking us, as we were a very safe city, and um, we would walk around at night, and we'd go out to eat, and we did some shopping and things like that, and people would ask us, you know, well, where are you guys from, and why are you here? And every time somebody would ask that, it was an opportunity for us to share the gospel. It was an opportunity for us to invite them to the church that we were working with. We need to be ready with the gospel of peace. See, the victorious Christian is someone who is sharing their faith on a regular basis. They realize we're in a spiritual war and there are people, there are friends, there are neighbors, there are loved ones who have been taken captive. They're prisoners of war by Satan. And we want to see them released by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me give you another one Paul talks about here. Verse 16. He says, above all, this is a really important one, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. One of the reasons we chose that, that scene in the movie 300 is because they're shooting all these darts at them. And, and Satan, the enemy, has these darts he wants to shoot at us, at us, and we have to have the shield of faith up. Now, I don't believe Paul is talking here about a saving faith. I believe he's talking about a living faith. Because he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to believers. These people are already saved. They're already Christians. But the same way you are saved by faith, we have to live by faith. We have to walk by faith. Amen? It's not like you make a one-time faith decision to accept Christ and then that's the last time you have faith. You've got to have faith in God and His Word and His Spirit working in and through you for the battles of life that you're going to face. You've got to make sure that you have the shield of faith. The Word of God is up. The shield of faith means that you believe and you trust in the promises and the power of God. Now, Paul was probably describing the Roman soldier from his time. And the Roman soldier would have a shield that was four foot uh, long by two foot wide. And we've got a picture of uh, similar what it would have been like, the, the shield. Uh, so four foot by two foot. That would have been great for me. I could have like just held the shield up and hid behind the old thing. It would have been awesome. But soldiers, it, it was more than just that. The, the, it wasn't always a round shield. It was, it was kind of a rectangular shield because what they would do is like in this picture, the soldiers would lock their shields together and they would get behind it and so it protected all of them. They would move forward toward the enemy like one unit and like a, a, a wall of shields as they locked shields together. And what Paul is letting us know here is that when you put up the shield of faith, you don't do it alone. We are not in this Christian life alone, Amen. God is not interested in Lone Ranger Christians. And so today, you thought you were just getting up and coming to church, but spiritually, in this war that we're a part of, you didn't just come to church this morning. You are locking shields with other believers. Look around. We're not in this battle alone. And isn't it encouraging to know I'm not alone in these battles? I don't fight by myself. And two are better than one, and three are better than two, and four are better than three. And so when we go to church each week, we're locking shields. When we go to small group throughout the week with 10, 12 other people in our church, we're not just going to small group to hang out and eat cookies and drink pop. You're there to lock shields with other believers and to pray for each other, encourage one another, because we're at war, y'all. 
Listen, you, when you go and you say, I'm going to submit myself to discipleship, I'm going to be discipled by another believer, you're locking shields with another believer to make you stronger and ready for victory in this battle. We're locking shields as we hold up the shield of faith. Here's another one. Verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. And again, he's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to believers who are already saved. So he's not talking about salvation in the saving of a soul eternal sense. I believe he's talking about daily salvation. How many of you, since you accepted Christ, sometimes need to daily be saved from the battles? And he says, you better have the helmet of salvation on. You know, our soldier here has a, a metal helmet on. And here's why when an enemy wants to take out somebody, if he can take off their head... They're done. It's really hard to fight when you don't have a head. Kind of ends things right there, you know. Oh, I just lost my head. Well, I'm done. And Satan wants to take out our head. And here's how he wants to do it. He wants to mess with your mind. He wants to mess with your mind. He wants to mess with your thinking. Because if he can change your mind, he can change your thinking with his lies and deceit and schemes, he'll change the way you live. He'll change the way you make decisions. Helmets are life-saving. We've got to have our, our helmets on of salvation. You know, we, again, I said we've been watching the Olympics, and I don't know if you guys saw the Czech snowboarder. She was doing that new snowboard cross, and she was jumping this big jump, and she, she messed up the trick in the air, and she fell and slammed her head into the, the snow, which was really ice at this point. And uh, this is a picture of her holding her helmet. Her helmet just exploded. It split in two. But the good news was, because she had her helmet on, she got up, had her snowboard on, and went ahead and finished the course. Because she had a helmet on to protect her. we got to have the helmet of salvation on, church. Satan is going to try to fill your mind with lies and half-truths and confusion. You say, well, how do I, how do I make sure I, my mind is right? that I'm thinking right, that I have the helmet of salvation on. If it's not talking about, okay, I know I'm saved, I know I've accepted Christ, but how do I make sure I have that helmet so Satan can't mess with my mind? Here's the most practical way here at Orchard Church we know how to tell you to make sure you got your helmet on. You've heard of this. It's called discipleship. You know what discipleship is? It's one man with another man, a lady with another lady, taking nine to 12 months to pour the word of God into their life into their mind so they have the mind of Christ so that when Satan tries to mess with them, their enemy, they go, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible tells me. Now do you all understand why we're constantly saying, be discipled, be discipled, disciple others? Because we're at war. And we're trying to prepare people for the war and Satan is going to try to mess with people's minds. And the more you know this book and the word of God, the less he can defeat you and trip you up. You say, well, how do I get into discipleship? How do I sign up? It's in your card, your connection card. Every Sunday when you come in on your newsletter, connection card, there's a box that says, sign me up for discipleship. Somebody will contact you, explain it, talk to you more about it. And let me just tell you this, we're pairing up a lot of people right now. Uh, this last week we were pairing up about 20 people. And of those 20 people, about 18 of them were women and two of them were men. And it's not because men don't need to be discipled. It's because more men need to put their helmet of salvation on. So think about that. Here's another one, verse 17. He goes on, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what, church? The Word of God, this book. Of all the pieces of equipment and armor, 
that God has told us to put on, five of them are defensive, but only one of them is offensive. It's the sword of the Spirit. The sword is the only offensive weapon to defeat Satan. And this sword is so important. This is the sword that the Bible says in Revelation 19, when the ultimate victory will take place, that Jesus will ride from heaven on a white horse, and the armies of heaven, us, on our white horses will come with him, and, and he will once and for all deal with Satan and defeat him. He'll defeat Satan, sin, and death. And it says, out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword, which is the word of God. And he will speak the word of God and defeat Satan once and for all, and we'll be victorious. Jesus, three times when he was tempted in the wilderness before he entered his earthly ministry, he was tempted three times by Satan himself. And all three times, what did Jesus do? What did he use to defeat Satan? This book. He says, as it is written, Satan, as it is written, Satan, as it is written. And after the third time, Satan was like, okay, and he left. And he fled, and he was defeated. If it was good enough for Jesus, I think it's probably good enough for us. That when we have those attacks from the enemy and from Satan and those temptations, that we know this book, that we can quote this book, that we have some of it memorized to defeat Satan, and we take out the sword of the Spirit and, and fight him off. We used to, to teach this to my children growing up when they were little. Um, we had this little game we played, and we called it the devil game. And they loved to play this game. And, and it was called the devil, and I was the devil. And I would take them and I would wrestle them down on the ground... And I would I'd hold them down, and I'd wrestle with them, and I'd make them, and I'd start tickling them or something, and I wouldn't let them up until they quoted a Bible verse. Now, when they were really little, I let them off easy. They knew Jesus wept really good. I'd be like, the devil is coming, and I'd get them, and I'd wrestle them down. They'd be, Jesus wept, Jesus wept. But then as they got a little older, I said, no, you got to know more verses than one. Satan's going to keep coming at you. So then they had John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, you know, and they'd do that one. And then as they got a little older, I wouldn't let them use that one anymore. I'm like, no, you got to have a different verse because Satan's going to keep coming and he's going to keep attacking and you need to know the Bible. And, and Jesus, when he quoted, we don't have time to go into it, but you check it out. When Jesus was tempted all three times, the very way he was tempted, he grabbed a scripture that dealt with that temptation. If you know what you struggle with and what Satan continues to attack you with, you know that sin that easily trips you up, you better have three or four verses memorized to deal with that sin. Or you're a sitting duck. You're just ready to be defeated. Let me ask you this question, church. Do you want to be victorious in the daily battles we face? Okay, some of you do. I think I heard a few yeses. Let me ask you that again. Do you want to be victorious in the battles? Then you know what the opposite of victory is? It's defeat and surrender. And let me, make this, let me say this as clearly as I can. You stop reading this book and picking up the sword of the Spirit, surrender. You've just surrendered. You didn't just stop reading your Bible, you surrendered to your enemy. You stop reading this book, you stop memorizing this book, you stop studying this book, surrender. You stop applying what you're reading, surrender. You stop coming to church regularly to be under the teaching of the Word of God, surrender. You stop being disciple or discipling others, it's a sign of surrender. You are easy prey for your enemy. Is that true? Say yes. That's absolutely true. And by faith, we've got to put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, and trust God that we will be victorious. He's given us everything we need. 
We just have to pick it up. We have to put it on. So to be victorious, you've got to know your enemy. You've got to know your equipment. And then finally, one more thing real quick. You need to know your energy. You need to know where your strength and your energy comes from. And Paul closes in verse 18. And watch what he says. You might want to underline these first two words. Praying, how often? Always. That's where our energy comes from. By being connected to headquarters. To our commander-in-chief, God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end. Because we're in a battle. With all perseverance. Don't give up. And supplication for all the saints. Praying for each other. And then Paul says, while you're at it and you're praying for yourselves and each other. Pray for me. Verse 19, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul closes this letter asking for prayer from the church in Ephesus and he's saying, would you open doors of opportunity for me to share the gospel? Because I know I'm in a spiritual battle. Now, remember where Paul is writing this from? He's in chains, he's in prison. If I were writing this to you guys, I'd be probably saying, would you pray that I would get out of here? Pray that God would open these doors. But Paul was seeing the spiritual, not the physical. He said, pray that I would be able to speak and God would open doors for me to speak. In verse 21, he says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I'm really doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I'm sending to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. And scholars believe that Tychicus was the one that was with Paul and he was able to take this letter and deliver it to the church of Ephesus and fill in the details of maybe what's not in this letter. And then Paul closes with a pretty familiar a benediction. He says, peace to the brethren, that's believers, and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. He closes by letting us know where our real spiritual energy comes from. And he says it's from prayer. It's by praying. Prayer is the energy that enables Christians to wear the armor and to be victorious because we'll never win this battle on our own. I mean, can you imagine dropping troops into enemy territory and giving them no means of communication to headquarters? I mean, we have this picture here of these guys fighting a battle. You got a guy on the radio and he's checking in. What are our orders? What are our directives? What are you seeing around the corner that we can't see? What gives us an advantage to win this? And, and, and troops are constantly in communication. And when communication is cut off, they're in big trouble. And the same is true spiritually in our Christian lives. When our communication is cut off, which the only ones that cut it off is us. God is waiting to hear from us. He's waiting to talk to us. He's ready to give our orders and directives. But we've got to tap into him. And we've got to pray. Always. Not just sometimes. Because the Christian life is not a playground, church. It's a battleground. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. And each day we've got to wake up and we've got to realize this. You're not going to work. You're going to war. You're not going to school. You're going into battle. You're not just going out into your community. You're at war. There's a spiritual warfare going on all around us. Listen, church, as we close this book out, Orchard Church, if we get this right, what Paul is saying, anything is possible. If we don't get this right, nothing is, is possible. We will be defeated. And Satan has these arrows that he is wanting to fire at us corporately and individually throughout our lives. And Paul is saying, wake up and understand. Many of the things that are going on in your life are part of spiritual warfare. You've got to have the whole armor of God on. 
And these arrows that Satan is going to send at us, usually he aims at our head with our minds. And Satan sends these arrows and he says things like, you're not forgiven. You're not loved. You can't change. You're not God's child. Why would he let you in his family? You're worthless. You're dirty. You're defeated. Who do you think you are? And God comes along and he gives us a book called Ephesians and he says, let me tell you who you are, child of God. You are blessed. You are appreciated. You are saved. You are reconciled. You are known. You are heard. You are healthy. You are new. You are spiritual. You are adopted. You are loved. And most of all, you are victorious. That's who we are. You're victorious. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Just keep up your shield. And just like that clip, God and his people, we get the last laugh. Amen? Amen. We get the last laugh. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Christians, are you ready for battle? When was the last time you even thought about this? Do you have your armor on? Do you know your Bible? Are you praying? Are you staying in communication with headquarters? Or if you're honest this morning, would you say, I I think I get up most days and I go into life defenseless. And I, I, I needed to hear this today from Paul to realize what's really going on. I have an enemy that wants to take me out. I'm tired of being defeated. I want to I want to fight from victory. I want to make sure I'm ready and I'm prepared. And there's some things practically, Pastor Doug, that you talked about today that I need to be doing to make sure I've got the whole armor of God on. If God has spoken to you in that way, Christians, would you just slip up your hand for prayer this morning all across this auditorium? Lift it up. I know I could be better prayer, prepared for the spiritual warfare I'm in. Thank you. Hands are everywhere in every section. God bless you guys. This was a wake-up call for me as well. We sometimes forget the spiritual warfare that's going on all around us. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that as believers in Jesus Christ, we would realize that when we put our faith and trust in you, we enlisted in your army. But the good news is we enlisted in the winning side, the winning team, the winning family. We will be victorious. But Lord, help us to be victorious in the battles that we face every day as well. Help us to put on the whole armor of God. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be in prayer. Help us to be prepared so that we are ready to stand against the wiles of the devil and his schemes. Help us not to go into our daily lives defenseless with our guard down. Lord, for those believers who are not getting hit because they're not on the front lines, I pray they would get on the front lines. I pray that they would join us who are trying to do your work your way they get off the bench and they get in the game will it be tough yes will it be difficult yes but the victory is already ours and that every time we experience the victories of lives being changed those of us on the front lines know we've been a part of that and it's been worth it it's been worth it with heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I got a simple question for you are you ready to join the victorious side Are you ready to be on the winning team and the winning family? You see, the Bible tells us that when we were born, we were born sinners, separated from God, and we were on Satan's team. We didn't sign up for it, we just inherited it from Adam and Eve. 
But are you ready to, to come over to the winning side, the victorious side? Are you ready to stop trying to do life on your own without God's armor? Are you ready to experience some victories in your life because Jesus is working in and through your life by His power and might? It starts by enlisting in His family, by inviting Jesus into your heart and your life. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to lead some of you in a prayer of faith that you can pray today from your heart to God's and you can invite Jesus into your life and you can join the winning team. You can have your sins forgiven, a home in heaven reserved for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith. Now listen, this is not some magic prayer or magic words, but if they come from a heart of belief and faith, Jesus will come into your life and be your Lord and Savior, and you'll be his child. So if you're ready to pray that prayer, right where you sit with me, would you repeat these words with me? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sins. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me right with you. Forgive me where I failed you. I accept you by faith today as my personal Lord and Savior. I want to be on the winning side. I want to live a life of victory as you work in and through my life. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to be victorious. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, or, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, there's a lot of people that would love to be praying for you and celebrate with you. And So with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for a moment but myself, would you just slip up your hand if you prayed that prayer of faith today for the very first time? Because I want to pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, young man. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time today, and I meant it. I invited Jesus into my life. Anyone else? Thank you. God bless you. Father, I thank you for those who are putting their faith and trust in you today for the first time. Thank you, Lord, that they're joining the winning side. But we know that now Satan is going to try to attack them for this decision. And we pray that they would put on the whole armor of God, that they know there are, there's an army of believers that will stand with them. We'll lock shields together and we'll help them to, to be discipled, to grow and to be strong and to experience the victory that is already ours because we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. And we celebrate their decision this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Christ this morning? Celebrate that we are victorious. Amen.